0: I'm Eric. And I'm Lauren. We've both volunteered for progressive political causes.
1: And we're both nerds.
0: Growing up, She-Ra was one of my favorite shows.
1: I've never seen it before.
0: Catching it on Netflix again recently, it struck me how modern the show still feels.
1: Even though it's definitely a product of its time. We're interested in the ways She-Ra presents a modern progressive message.
0: And the ways in which it fails.
1: Join us each week as we dive deep into a different She-Ra story.
0: Always with an eye on how it relates to the present.
1: We're only doing episodes from the first season, so you can follow along on Netflix.
0: But we'll also recap the episodes so you don't have to.
1: We'd love to hear your feedback on everything we're discussing.
0: So please, enjoy this political, nerdy dive into a heck of a cartoon. This This is is She-Ra, Progressive Progressive of of power. Power! welcome to another episode of Progressive of Power. Uh, I'm Eric. I'm Lauren. And today we are talking about the episode Duel at Devlin, and kind of our progressive topic du jour is Resistance, capital R. Uh, so let's let's do a quick recap of Duel at Devlin first. So this is, we're not going to hit every episode of the series probably, but this is the first episode after the five-part pilot. And I always think, you know, the first non-pilot episode is so important in a show because it kind of tells you what the status quo of the show is gonna be. And I think that's what Duel at Devlin does. So let's get into it. We have basically a provincial town where the horde rules and the the horde captain there is kind of a kind of a jerk and his name is Dylamug and he's like terrorizing the citizens and in particular the poor innkeeper who tries to get the horde people just to like pay their bill and not cause trouble but instead he like makes them dance by shooting lasers at their feet. And the innkeeper's daughter is really uh, up in arms about this, so she throws a pie in dial mug's face, and then she goes off to find the rebellion to get them to help free her village. Well, when she finds the rebels, She-Ra's like, hey, we're not gonna help you. I'm gonna come help you help yourself. And that's what happens. That's basically the episode. And I think that's really interesting and that's how I want to start the discussion is like Shira will not bring her army of rebels to Devlin because in her her argument is that people who are you know Im- oppressed have to make the the choice to free themselves uh and I think that's a pretty interesting moral for this cartoon you know kind of further explicated by the fact that the in the grand battle she loses like the last thing she does in the show is get shot in the back by Dylamug and then the citizens of devlin kind of rise up and beat the horde for themselves so lauren what do you think about that thinking about resistance that it has to come from uh from the people who are being oppressed
1: so i thought it was a interesting choice uh specifically knowing that we are just coming out of the pilot we just kind of learned that there's this rebellion and all of the characters that are in it and we immediately get told we're not using them and so it's not that the idea behind the plot is, is strange. There's actually a lot that I like about it. It's that it's strange in its timing. I really wanted to see more just army action from the rebellion before we started getting into these more complex lessons about resistance. Uh, I will also say, this being the first episode out of the pilot, that it took a long time to get to the plot of this one there was the opening scene that you mentioned with pies. Pies are a very popular weapon. We use them like three different times. And then we just go into the forest where the rebellion is and kind of further emphasize the forest versus technology visuals. But there's like 10 minutes of just breakfast bits.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of the um, like He-Man and She-Ra fans number one complaint about this episode is that there's so much you know, quote unnecessary stuff. I actually really like those scenes. I think that it's kind of cool that they help you get to know the rebellion just as people like, Oh, here's what the rebels do. Like they're chilling. They're having breakfast. They're cracking jokes. The little twiggets are, are sledding. That said, it it is an interesting choice that it takes a long time to get to the action. And yeah, the pies, it, This episode really makes you feel like getting a pie in your face is a grave social injustice. It's just the worst
1: thing that could happen to you. Well, and that's one of my questions. I know in the last episode, we talked a lot about how the Horde is the established power. And I kept asking myself, do they have these sort of weird, comedic, nonviolent tactics? Are they so ineffective in this episode? Because just the heroes have to win? Or is this the story of sort of a dictatorship that's gotten soft and less effective having been sitting at the top for so long?
0: That's a really good question. I think maybe the answer is that, you know, something this episode does is it pulls uh, the lens of the pilot way, it narrows it substantially. You know, we don't see the Fright Zone. We don't see Hordak. It's, It's, like I said, a very provincial show. And I think it's kind of showing, like, the Horde and the Sticks. Like, yeah, they're not that effective, but they've never really had to be. Like, this episode almost goes to comical lengths to show you how uh, how cowed the village is. And they've never really had to fight back before. So I think that's why, like, oh, we're going to shoot lasers at this guy's face and then throw a pie at him is, like, effective. It shows that the villagers just have no morale.
1: It's all right, Darius. I'm having a wonderful time. I I
0: can't help it though. I've I watched this episode twice, and both times I laughed out loud when the little girl Cristala pushes a pie in Dylamug's face it's so like it's both so obvious but it's kind of like just so unexpected it happens without like incident there's no music cue or anything
1: the pies <laughs> come back though because when the villagers finally stand up for themselves one of the things they bring out is another pie
0: yes pie and i think sacks of flour yes. and barrels and that <laughs> defeats
1: that does a great job it works really fast So a point that uh, really interested me about this episode was, uh, I believe it's Kristala. Someone asks She-Ra, why is the situation so bad? And She-Ra's response is, some things are just like that. But if we all work together, we can change things. And I feel like the latter part of that is true for sure. I mean, that's how I get to go to sleep every night, is feeling like if we unify and we resist... We can make great change in our nation, but the former part of it is puzzling to me. If you compare it to today, I think we do a lot of talking about how we got here, um, how we created our situation in our country, and the story is the same over and over. Um, Our current president was elected, and a bunch of people like you and me felt like they weren't doing enough. And so we're just in this period of self-reflection, you know, how did I get here? And it's interesting to hear She-Ra say, some things are just like that. I mean, what does that mean for us now?
0: I'm I'm glad you brought that up. I think that is an interesting line. And kind of She-Ra's whole perspective in this episode, it's not what you would expect, I think, from like a cartoon heroine in the 80s. She's not like just cheering on the good guys. She's a little more measured. She's a little more somber about the way things are on Etheria. You know, for me, I think the one thing that I took out of 2016 was, I don't want to say I stopped believing that the universe has a positive moral arc, which is something that I've always believed, but I think the lesson for me, and again, I'm saying this is someone who, the election affected me so much less than so many people I care about, including the person I'm looking at right now, you know, as a straight white male, it didn't really do that much to me. It made me quit my job, which I can talk about in a future episode because of politics, but whatever. I think it taught me that the universe doesn't arc towards justice without everybody doing their part, right? Like, that's that's really the lesson I learned, and that's why I volunteered, is because I always used to think, oh, things just get better. Like, that's just the way things are. And then I realized, well, but part of that is we all have to help make it better. I think that's what
1: Shira is recognizing. I feel like for a long time I held a similar belief. We tend to say... So-and-so is on the right side of history. Are you on the right side of history? Who is on that right side? As if history moves on its own, uh, you know, whether or not we participate. But if you look at anything from income inequality to the current attempts at deregulating uh, environmental restrictions, someone is going to take action, even if you don't. You have to fight for policies and the populations that you believe in because history is not going to swing its great pendulum towards the right side if only the horde is, is acting.
0: Then what is what do you think of the episode's ultimate ethical argument that like it is up to the villagers to make the call for themselves? Because I think there's kind of a little bit of rocky ground here only because here's one way in which, you know, she is different from the real world is we need to not put this step on people who are already marginalized in the real world. Like we can't say, oh, well, you have to do it for yourself and then we'll help you. Because they've been trying to do that forever and power structures keep keeping them down. But I think in this abstracted fantasy world, you know, where if we take the villagers to be just kind of your everyday person who's living under this malaise in the world of Trump, then I think that's actually a really great message is like, you know what? You can't just watch other people fight the battles that you think need to be fought. Like you need to step up and do it, too.
1: Right, you make a great point about people who are oppressed are under no obligation to educate or move others because they've been fighting all along and not everyone has the same resources or opportunities to use to rise up. That said, regular people have a lot of power based simply off of numbers. And I would love if everyone just sort of acknowledged that at the same time and used it. What I don't love about this episode, uh, the line was, you've given us back our self-respect. The villager says that, and that was the the cringy part for me, because I think it would be terrible to say that people must just be downtrodden or oppressed or poor or enslaved just because they didn't respect themselves. And only if they loved themselves more, this situation would be over. That's crap.
0: I, I think, we yeah, we have to just assume that these villagers aren't part of any kind of already uh, subjugated minority, or the, just this whole message breaks down. But I do like the idea that, you know, we can't just sit around waiting for someone in, in the government to, like, some Democrat in, I don't know, far away, to fix things the way they are now because we're unhappy with them. Like, we have to be, like, the villagers who are just kind of like, well... Yeah, we hate Trump, but what are we going to do? And look, like, like we can be the government, you know, we can be the rebellion.
1: Absolutely. And I think, you know, we're getting a little cynical here. This is kind of a pessimistic conversation. It's important to remember that this show is for children. And I think presenting this to children, remembering the sorts of conflict or issues I might be experiencing as a child that this is a metaphor for this might be a good message. If I'm getting bullied on the playground or a teacher gave me an unjust grade, I mean, then let's unify with the people around me who I'm comfortable with and know. That's a completely reasonable thing to tell a kid, and in this way. There was a moment where the horde is taunting she because she's alone. All of the villagers are hiding. And they're like, oh, you're all alone. And she doesn't even flinch. She just karate kicks a you know a vehicle out of the sky. And I felt something in my chest then that I know I would have felt even more as a little girl. Like, no, you're not going to make me feel fear. I'm going to keep going. And for a, a young child, a young girl watching that show, that's incredible. One last thing I'd like to talk about in this episode that is political. Uh <laughs> the the horde was really on the nose with their sort of taunts. They said, Oh, it's so easy to take advantage of people who are frightened. And I I kind of giggled at how <laughs> just obvious that was, how willing our villains in these cartoons were to just say exactly what they were up to. I feel like the current administration and just people in places of power elsewhere in our lives. We're talking about, you know, any maybe just even the bosses at our jobs that aren't so great, whatever, use fear, but in a much more underhanded and sinister way. I think a lot of the reason Donald Trump got elected was because people were afraid of the changes in their lives around them, things they didn't understand, whether that was seeing uh, LGBT rights come forward, uh, whether that was, uh, well, I have economic strife, it must be people from Mexico. I watched, you know, my own parents take issue with people of color moving into their neighborhood, and the neighborhood that I grew up in was very white, But if you ask any of those people why they voted the way they did, not a single one of them would cite fear, not even a single one of them would admit that their opinions were influenced by anyone but themselves and their knowledge. And so I did a lot of thinking about the line, it's so easy to take advantage of people who are frightened, because today we have people being taken advantage of that same way, but they have... In my opinion, no idea. That's what's happening to them.
0: Totally, and like you said, this is the. It's an '80s show for kids, so you know the villains are gonna be super on the nose. But I completely agree with you, and I'm glad you brought that up. And one of my bigger political theses is, you know, the right likes to call people like us snowflakes, and I I think they've got it a little backwards, because to me. Generally, Trump country is very fragile, and it is very fear-based. It's very much fear of the things that aren't understood. And there's no robot with the toupee shooting lasers at their feet, making them dance or throwing pie in their face. It's, it's much more sophisticated. It's a rhetorical fear. You know, it's, it's people like Trump stirring up all these images in their minds and their souls of things that they don't understand and making them react against that by embracing this nationalism. And it is, it's very similar in broad strokes to the tactics that the Horde use. Uh, I think even, I mean, you can see that a little bit where in this episode, I think for the first time, one of the, someone who's not in the Horde uses rebel as the slur, kind of, you know, like Mm -hmm. when um, Crisala brings Sheera to the village, someone's like, you can't bring a rebel here, the Horde will make us all slaves, like. That, that's because that's what they know, that's that's what they've been told of rebels. And, you know, what have what people in Trump country been told about people who don't look or think or act like them?
1: Right. That was a surprise to me in this episode that everyone has heard of the rebellion already, but not everyone has heard good things.
0: And I think it's really interesting, and I want to get your thought on this. What does it mean that it's a little girl, a child who goes out and, and seeks out the rebels to free her village?
1: I think that's an incredibly important uh, point of this episode, not only for the children watching this show to have someone to relate to, but I think a lot about today, um, even even in a, a pre-Trump world, right? So often when confronting homosexuality, transgender issues, the sort of stereotype phrase you hear is, how am I going to talk to my child about this? What am I supposed to tell my children? Um, but the the heroine in this episode, I think reminds us that kids aren't born with any <laughs> real opinions about minorities or subcultures or people different from them. Kids are pretty awesome. They're born pretty positive and pretty optimistic and only become fearful or judgmental or skeptical or eventually, you know as adults bigoted, I think, because of the world around them, it's a very nurture versus nature kind of thing. So if you take that kid who's a blank slate and raise them to be open and loving and uh, fond of diversity and welcoming to difference and change, then you won't have to ha- you won't have to struggle with what will I tell my children? And this is a little girl who I think just hasn't been jaded yet hasn't been, she hasn't suffered enough experiences at the hands of the horde or the people around her to to have lost her hope yet. And that's a good lesson for all of us, even grownups.
0: Overall, you weren't crazy about this one, though.
1: You know, I think it had very good intentions. It had great things to teach us about kids and about, uh, self-empowerment, but it had a lot of missteps in terms of when you got actually down to the the, the things people were saying and the quotes. Could have done a lot better. Uh, But again, for its time, it was probably quite a thing.
0: And you think that kids would would react to this maybe better than you would?
1: Yes, 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 yes. I am a cynical adult. And the second I tried to think about, you know, seven-year-old Lauren instead of 31-year-old Lauren... Even the song that I've made fun of before, I was like, yeah, She-Ra, let's go. This song rules. <laughs> I do, on a lighter note, want to make a correction to my previous uh, wonderment in the last episode. Spirit can talk when he is not Swiftwind. He did it in this episode. And that was such a point for me last time. I just have to shout it out to be like, guys, I learned. I learned my lesson. That horse can talk whenever he wants.
0: I also noticed that. And I was very happy for (laughs) you. I was pumped. (laughs) All right. So next week, we're going to come back with uh, a discussion of two episodes called The Seahawk and The Return of the Seahawk. Guess what? Those are connected. And we're going to talk about gender roles. Uh, If you would like to write back to us with any feedback, uh, as long as it's thoughtful, we will take positive or negative comments. You can email us at progressiveofpower at gmail.com or leave comments on our website. Uh, So let's talk about the moral. So this uh, we, we kind of played it this last week, but going forward, every episode of she has a moral segment at the end, complete with a little imp who hides in the episode called Lookie, and then you're supposed to find him.
1: I know. I'm going to be looking for him now. I didn't <laughs> know that was a thing. I'm excited.
0: But what I think is interesting, and I think that this episode kind of shows head on, is that the morals are so often at odds. They, they either don't express what the real message of the show is, or they're at odds with it.
1: This one was at odds. Uh,
0: I agree. So some quick background, Uh, I didn't look up his name because I'm a dummy, but Filmation had um, an education professor from, I think, UCLA on staff to supervise the moral segments for every show because that was their number one way to get angry parent groups off their back was-
1: Look, it's educational. Right,
0: exactly. This professor at a college that you've all heard of said it's educational, but the morals are at best dumbed down and you can get way more out of the actual show- and at worst, they are yeah, the opposite of what you're gonna take. So here is the moral as stated from this episode. Uh in today's adventure, Dylamug acted like a bully. You know, a person who tries to make other people afraid of him. It's no fun being picked on by a bully. If someone bothers you, don't ever be afraid to tell your parents or some older person. Not a bad moral. But not what this episode is about.
1: No, in an episode that is entirely centered around you have to rise up and fight your own battles, saying run to someone else for help is not what we were supposed to learn, I don't think.
0: Yeah, even like Cristala does go to someone else for help, but only after making the decision For herself to seek out the rebellion, which no one, like her parents were not cool with.
1: I was quite bullied growing up. That's a big formative part of my personality is how much I was uh, made fun of and how much I struggled both in grade school and high school. And uh, I don't think telling your teacher or telling your parents actually worked that much for kids. Um, I used to resent hearing things like that as a kid. Um, I had a... You know, I think my mom did a pretty good job. I have vivid memories of my dad being like, Well, if someone bothers you, just punch them. I'm like, That's not going to work in Catholic school. I will get expelled immediately. Parents that you tell, parents of the bully, is very much like, Not my child. They'd never do anything like that. There must be some kind of misunderstanding. And I remember a, a my kindergarten teacher calling me a tattletale. And so I don't think. This is as cut and dry as the 80s are like, (laughs) I don't think it works.
0: No, I think the episode itself does a much better job of presenting, like, even though it's problematic, like an actual ethical lesson for like, if you're having problems with someone harassing you, here's some steps you can take.
1: Well, yeah. And the villagers actually sort of prove my point. The, the little girl, I'm sure, tells her parents first and the, her fellow villagers first and they're like, no, there's nothing we can do, which is a lot more like, I think, the real life experiences of a lot of us nerdy kids. The moral needed 30 more seconds of audio in which Lookie went. And then that older person or teacher is going to take you on an emotional journey where you will be empowered to help yourself.
0: That is the moral of today's episode. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> Thanks for listening to she Progressive of Power. If you like our show, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We'd super appreciate it. You can also send us any feedback you have either to our email address, progressiveofpower@gmail.com, at gmail.com, or as a comment on our website at progressiveofpower.wordpress.com.
1: The word resistance can sound pretty intense, especially if you've never protested or called a person in government before. We recommend using ResistBot. In less than two minutes, ResistBot will take your name and zip code and help you fax your congressman about issues you care about. Faxes are pretty old school, but are one of the only ways your representatives know they are hearing from real constituents. Text RESIST to 50409 to get started. For the honor of love.